Welcome to Craft Path, a production of Harvest Insights. I'm your host, Mark Juhas, and we explore and discover the art, science, and future of perfecting one's craft with the makers and advisors of products and services in the food and beverage world and beyond. Welcome back to another episode of Craft Path. After a hiatus, we've been gone for a little while. We had a busy summer, but we're back and happy to say that we have a new interview this week with Andreas Deuce and Al Berry from Six Seeds. They're co-founders and Andreas Deuce is the Managing Director and Chief Operating Officer for North America. And Six Seeds is a recently established and recently formed tech-driven food marketing agency based in both Toronto, Ontario, here in Canada, and in London, UK. We discuss a range of issues uh, related to food, such as eating habits, consumer eating habits, information and misinformation, and some of those uh, factors leading to consumer choices. And then we, we turn to potential of generative AI, which is something that Six Seeds is working closely with their clients on in new food product development and supporting understanding of consumers. We also turn to a discussion of health drivers and sustainability in relation to price for products and round that out as well with um, getting some perspective on Six Seeds to see where they want to take their work with their clients and brands into the near future. So welcome back again to Craft Path. You can also communicate with us um, by going to harvestinsights.com and sending uh, me an email with any suggestions you have for future shows or guests you'd like to have on the show. Or if you are uh, in some sort of uh, business that is producing a craft food beverage or otherwise, um, I'd be happy to hear from you if you think you'd be good for the show. Also, if you are on um, on your, however you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Spotify or directly from Simplecast or um, Apple, give us a like and a review. It, it uh, greatly appreciate and greatly helps us. And without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello. Okay. Well, welcome to Craft Path. And I'm really happy to say that we have uh, Andreas Deuce and Al Berry. So we have uh, six seeds with us and uh, we'll, we'll get right into the show. So really um, honored to, to have you both here at the show. Um, Al, uh, Andreas and I have known each other for a little while. So we've, we've done this before. Uh, actually, I think Andreas was the first uh, guest on the show. The guinea pig. Well, yeah, the guinea pig. Well, you know, it, we had we had fun with that. So, um, this this is you know really to sort of uh, have a, a good discussion uh, about what all three of us work on, and I think think about a lot, which is the world of food and and beverages and trends and and what consumers are thinking, where ideas go, what products selling, what what aren't, uh, all all of that. So so that's where that's where I'm hoping this. Uh, this conversation will will take us, uh, and and I've sent some some ideas uh, for us to consider. So um, maybe maybe by way of a of a, a bit of an introduction, Al, if you would to um, to your background, because uh, because I think some of the listeners will know about Andreas, and we'll we'll get back to refreshing that too, of course. But Al, if you would a little bit about your background and uh, what led you to what you're doing now with Six Seeds. And uh, and your partnership with Andreas and, and the broader team. Sure, thanks for thanks for having us on, Mark. As well, it's uh, it's, it's great to be connected with you. Um, <clears throat> so my name's uh, Al Berry. Um, 
I'm uh, one of the co-founders and chief strategist at, at Six Seeds. Um, I come from a kind of varied marketing background. Um, um, having spent about 23 years in industry, um, starting off in a um, formative in, 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 in live television, um, which is a great grounding for any good storyteller. Um, I've always, it's always, always been good to me um, throughout the years. <clears throat> um, I've worked on agency side, I've worked client side, so um, I've held some senior positions at places like Bacardi Global Brands, um, looking after, I think, inevitably one of the best portfolio of, of, of alcoholic spirit brands uh, in existence. Um, and um, I've worked in, in retail, um, that's well, the, the UK's largest grocer, uh, Tesco, um, heading up a content centre of excellence. Um, in between that, various scale-up startups and, 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 and agencies, um, all around the kind of food and food and beverage sector, um, which has kind of yeah, fueled my passion really for, I guess, understanding, understanding understanding the industry, understanding where things are at, and fundamentally why why things need to change, and 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 why now I feel we're an inflection point for for that change to happen. Okay. Consumer choice in a world of a huge uh, a variety of choices, you know, that how do people build their um, eating habits and when and why do they sample A over B and what could lead to uh, a returning uh, customer? I guess that's one of the things that I was, was hoping for us to discuss today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Alan and I, we, we, we had a, we had a great conversation about this. And one of the things I think we both, we both agree with is, you know, people have never been better informed than they are today, but they also haven't been more misinformed than they are today. I mean, social media is ripe with uh, with myth about nutrition and food. I think, you know, one of my favorite is the, you know, a myth that never dies is that seed oils um, somehow cause inflammation. There is zero scientific evidence behind this, but you see this time after time popping up in conversations. So there is a real need to make sure that correct information is being shared and that brands make sure they get that kind of information across. And um, AI is one of the tools that is emerging as a really helpful platform that helps analyze consumer preferences and trends and then allows brands to target their particular messaging. You agree with that, Al? Yeah, I think so. Like, can, can, consumers are, are 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 literally sport sport for choice. And in a in a in a world with so many you know fragmented claims around what's what's good, what's not, what I should be eating, what I shouldn't be eating, um, it's it's a bit of a minefield out there. Um, I think anything can can be done to. Uh, yeah, to to help strengthen you know the, the power of the consumer to, to to make choices, and the world we come back to quite often is transparency. Um, I think is a real a real opportunity to um, uh, help help change how how food is both consumed and and give yeah give consumers more choice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm thinking, uh, you know. The the arrival of ChatGPT has really sort of brought brought uh, to attention something that is a a very uh, 
a clear example of how a tool can be used. And then I guess it's it's going to be evolving in in uh, in how people are using it. But I, I do know that there are some companies, uh, for example, McCormick comes to mind, um, the U.S. Uh, spice and flavorings company. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that they're using an AI tool to come up with new flavor combinations. You know, there's... Uh, there's a, a a a chip company from that is quite you know popular. I think you both might know kettle kettle chips, and they're always coming up with these unique flavor combinations, uh, habanero lime or, or you know New York cheddar or you know whatever the, mm. the combination is. And I and I guess you know uh, maybe what I'm thinking is you know the intuitive the intuitive deep knowledge let's say that a chef or a food product developer might have that is qualitative from from years of experience in relation to these AI tools? How do you see those two um, sort of intention or in creative, uh, you know, uh, new directions on how how people who would literacy mm. and say of the food world, you know, they, they are in it and they're in a deep and they sort of sort of maybe follow an intuitive path in relation to what AI can provide? Like where does that land potentially? I think for, for men, don't put on this on, on dress, it's kind of fresh in mind from, from something we did last week with one of the UK's major yeah. retailers, Waitrose, and how they're using um, a taste-wise tool and a, and a taste-specific GPT. Um, it, and it, it, we, 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 we were discussing, you know, the, the, the power of these tools. It's, it's what you put in is what you get out. And so with a, you know, with a chat GPT, it's great. It can probably you know, pull you up <clears throat> some sort of flavor combinations you might not have thought of. But it's very broad and generic generic data in, in, in terms of the language model it's trained on. I think to get to a pairing where that you're you're looking at flavor combinations that are actually built off food data. So, you know, whether that's restaurant data, whether that's your uh, uh, your your delivery data from, from from delivery apps, whether that's from retail, food serve, you know, some really rich data points um overlaid across you know what what we see that you know a lot of a, a lot of large language models are trained on in terms of social then you've got a good starting point you're you're kind of already in the right ballpark to be you know not coming up with ridiculous combinations and one of the things we talk about sixes a lot is the kind of 80 20 rule you know it, it gets you 80 percent of the way there with a new flavor combination a new pairing based on trends based on you know what consumers are actually enjoying right now, so that real-time data. But then it requires that 20% of human. You know, we, we talk a lot about the human in the loop. It requires, you know, that person who's, 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 who's been to culinary college, that person who's, who, who has experience, who has taste buds, who can tell you that, you know, yeah, if you're making a good blue cheese, um, Great, I can put you know uh, rennet into milk and and, and, and and physically do the cheese, but the artisan in the mix is the one that yes. gets you from you know a, a science product to a, to a, a real oh my gosh that is a flavor combination. It's the you know it's the guy on the grill, it's the guy on the pass who knows you know just how much to sear your salmon so that it's not burnt but the skin's yes. lovely and crispy. AI can't do that yet, and AI can't tell you. That's overdone. It doesn't have a you know a nose to go. That smells like that's uh, that's too charcoal for, for for my liking. So it's a tool. It's a really powerful tool, and in the in the right hands, um, it is by far definitely the future of things to come. Yeah, and I think you know building on what Al just said, it's really essential that 
I mean, we all love ChatGPT. It's a fantastic tool, but it's, you know, you mustn't forget it's a generalist tool. So, you know, it's been trained on anything and everything, and it is really good for a wide variety of use, of, of use cases. Um, it's not great for specialist culinary content. And, you know, we've seen some hiccups that has happened in the past there. Whereas a tool like, uh, for example, you know, TasteWise, which is uh, our partner for, um, you know, AI-created, Gen AI-created content, just to give you a bit of an idea there, the TasteWise Gen AI tool has been trained on <clears throat> 10 million and counting recipes. Uh, they've all been properly licensed, so there's no, yeah. there are no issues with usage behind those. But, you know, their training, the training of that particular tool is food-specific. And the Gen AI has been also trained to not guess. So if it doesn't know, it doesn't make stuff up. It doesn't pull things, mm-hmm. you know, that it might get, you know, say, well, that sounds nice potentially. Um, so it's really important to understand that not all AI tools are created equal. And I think another thing to sort of keep in mind, people use the word AI uh, with liberty and very often what is being called an AI tool, frankly, isn't an AI tool, you know? It's, Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's a tool that mixes things from a database that it thinks makes things, you know, that makes sense, but they're not necessarily yeah. true AI tool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I'm thinking just for fun about the example of of the Coke. Remember back in I guess it was the 80s that they they came out with a new Coke flavor, and it bombed, right? Like it really was a was a a disaster. And then they came back with the Coke Classic, and I guess so. So some of these companies mm. have these for, formulation ambitions where they think it might work, and then it just simply. It simply doesn't, and and how much of that is is the human error or you know hubris of the of the actual uh, create a team that wants to make this happen versus what is going to really survive or not in the market? Well, a lot of CPG product, uh, lots of CPG products fail all the time from the beginning. Yeah, yes, right? yes. I mean, they launch stuff, and you know if you have the money, if you have the budget, and also if you have the reach in retail. So let's say you're the Kellogg company, right, and you want to try out a new. Uh, you don't want to try out a new cereal flavor and you have a little bit of market research that says, well, you know, this should fly. Let's, for argument say, let's say it's high in protein, which is a current consumer trend, high in protein, high in fiber. And you put that out, it still may bomb. Over 60% of all new CPG products from the large established CPG companies still fail. And one of the things that we do at Six Seeds, we drive that percentage of failure down significantly using our tools, right? This is not, it's not just products that come new into the market uh, by people with an entrepreneurial mindset that struggle to achieve product market fit. It is a large number of all CPG products that enter the market that within six months you don't see anymore. Going back to the Coke example, you just said, Al, you had some thoughts when we were talking about the, uh, the Coke AI flavor, right? <laughs> well, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I look, it, it, it comes down to sort of what I'd say AI for good and, and people in it for long haul. And, and what we've seen over the past kind of, you know, six to nine months, just like a lot of experimentation. So you've got, you know, Coke launching their kind of futures flavors, not actually defining what their flavors are and leaving that to the, to the consumer to decide. 
But then weaved into that narrative is like, hey, we're using generative AI to come up with these these new flavors, which feels like more of a soundbite than a than a than a, than a strategy to design new flavors. Um, but it's interesting to seeing, you know, and and I think probably one of two examples I've seen where you know you've got a you've got a large a large drinks company. Um, yeah, active reporting saying, "Hey, this this product's created using generative AI," and that's that's interesting. I mean, it, it's interesting for us because we see it in other um, uh, yeah, use case of generative AI in other uh, in, in other sectors. And um, I was reading an article the other day in 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 in, in one of the one of the tabloids over here in in London, and it, and it had the at the end of the article, you know, a disclaimer saying this art this you know, this was written with the aid of a, um, a generative AI. Um, oh, wow! Yeah, which I kind of, kind of went. Well, that's that's yeah, bully for you for uh, um, uh, for for admitting to it. And um, I don't know. My personal opinion being that you know, if you need to think about tabloid newspapers over here, the, the journalism was a thousand percent better than it usually is. But um, that's uh, that's much my <laughs> take on the. Uh, on, on those papers so yeah that transparency where when and where it's not being used i think we're we're still not at that place yet where we're uh we're confident enough in the tools or seeing the consumer reaction to it you know i haven't yet seen a a, a a cookbook or a or a food blog um actively pumping out going this is a uh, uh these are ai uh, ai um created recipes um, mm. The possibility, I think, yeah, might be a, might be a niche to be exploited. Here's here's a question I'd like to ask of both of you, and this is something I think probably a lot of us in the food world are thinking about, and that is the whole plant based plant based um, alternatives or alternative proteins. And I think mm-hmm. if you know, pretty much from from solid evidence, let's say the obvious banners are are Beyond Meat uh, and Impossible Foods, which have had an up and down over the last couple of years. But there's many plant-based alternatives on the market. Let's say the veggie patty being uh, the most obvious uh, example of that. So there's there's a lot going on, a lot of effort on that front, whether it's from from plant sources or maybe even from from fermentation or from mushroom-based or even in the next decade from from cultivated meat. But there there's um, a lot what people are saying, and then what actually is happening at the actual at the at the checkout counter. And I would imagine mm-hmm. a lot of that has to do with flavor uh, profile, the texture, what's missing, and the ingredients that can or can't be used in it. But then also the consumer, you know, bias and tradition towards wanting, you know, like let's say just the, the flavor of a burger patty or the familiar familiarity of it. So that's something that seems to be a rich space for <laughs> for yeah. opportunity, but also maybe for for retrenchment, even from 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 uh, legacy brands versus what where consumers are are aspiring or a different generation are aspiring to buy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have a I have a personal take on this. Uh, yeah, Andreas may may agree with, but when you get to the checkout, and especially in the moment. You know your 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 drivers of of, of footfall into a retail are usually convenience. Um, you know, uh, is it easy to buy, and then price, and that's way higher up the list of 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 a, of a customer's you know values about why they buy something. Or you know, yes, it's got to taste good. That's kind of a kind of table stakes. And at the moment, with a lot of plant based products, you're, you're just and I think where they've struggled over the past past kind of um, year is they're just topping the 
just hitting the top of the market. So you're asking a consumer to try something new they has no experience of before that might be similar to have the same texture of something that they may or may not you know already like if they're <clears throat> you know of a um a meat-free diet persuasion and then you're going to charge them more for it and the the basic <laughs> you know economics that don't don't really work especially when looking for market penetration i think you couple that with you know, a, a, a you know a, a cost of living crisis, as it were. When we, when we look at the cost of you know, protein across the board, until alternatives in the in the in the meat free space start coming in at a price point that is underneath the existing you know the existing cost of a you know a chicken fillet or or, or, or a fish fillet, you can't you can't really expect consumers to to, to make that swap. And I think. That's what's been highlighted with the kind of, I guess, the cooling off, I would say, of, of, of the, the old protein market in the last few months. All the other things have got to be there. It's got to taste good. It's got to have good texture. It's got to have good flavor. But, you know, predominantly, that has got to be an absolute given. And then you've got to get into the commerciality of it. And, I, and yeah, and, and it's, it, it's one thing that I think is being neglected at the moment, which... You know, we know with new technologies is a is a scaling issue, but um, yeah, I feel that's probably the uh, some of the biggest biggest challenge. The science and the biology, I think we can we can we can solve. Yes, uh, at the right at the right price point, um, that's going to take some bigger players than there are in the market right now, and 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 a and a, and a, and a seismic shift in the, the kind of go to market strategy. Yeah, I think. I absolutely agree with everything Al just said. And I think, you know, to build on what you've just said, I think it's really important to understand we're at the very beginning of this journey, right? I mean, this is brand new. These are brand new conversations. These are very necessary conversations. I mean, we all know, um, you know, that there is a responsible way to integrate uh, livestock in a diet, but it needs to change away from industrial livestock farming for a whole number of reasons, environmental reasons, sustainability reasons, animal rights reasons, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, right? That, that's essential. And, you know, to use uh, a large percentage of our farmland to that suck up water to grow alfalfa that is then being shipped, you know, to other countries so they can feed it to cattle. That is not a sustainable future for anybody, not for the planet, not for us, not for the food industry. So there is a future in which we need to reduce our consumption of meat, absolutely, uh, to less meat, but meat that is uh, produced in a more sustainable way. Now, the other thing, I mean, my personal observation when it comes to the current uh, products on the market that are plant-based meat substitutes, a lot of them are... You know, substitutes for burgers or for chicken nuggets. Now, burgers and chicken nuggets, and I'm going to speak only for myself here. Other people may very disagree. I don't think that's great food. That's certainly not food I want to eat daily. Um, mm. Right? And it is not something that would make a dent or would change my personal consumption habits because that's just not something I eat and that's something I don't want to feed to my kids. Um, where I'm really excited about what's possible in the future is with um, cultivated meat. You know, so for example, you want to have a great beef stew, a slow cooked beef stew, for example. Um, you know, and you say, well, you know, here's 
meat that has been cultivated, has been grown in the lab, is exactly the same um, meat that's been used from a cow, but it's not from a cow, and you know it is grown in a way that's that's sustainable and interesting. I personally, I know other people may disagree, but I personally would have zero problems eating that. You know, mm-hmm. it's something that is proven to be safe and sustainable, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, you know, we bought some burger patties. We bought some burger patties from Impossible and Beyond and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. We bought them twice and then just not again. Um, yeah. I think because we don't eat that many burgers. And then on the other occasion where I do burgers, I have a, where I do eat a burger, I have a great local butcher where I know the beef comes from local farms in Ontario, you know, and it's organic and comes from regenerative farming and all that kind of stuff. So I'd rather buy that, personally speaking. But again, we're at the very beginning of this conversation, and I think I'm very grateful that we have entrepreneurs who go out and try these things and put their marker in the sand and saying, you know, I'm going to work with this. I'm going to try this out because if, yeah. we, if, if we don't, then we have a real problem. And so I personally am grateful that these kind of developments exist, even if some of them may in the commercial sense of the word fail. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So on, on that note, here's a, 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 a to, um, to pose both, because I think this could be, could be a bit lively to hear your perspectives. Um, okay. So let's, I'm just visioning like classic, food items like a hot sauce, uh, a condiment, whatever that might be, a mustard or a ketchup, a beverage, a pop, um, a carbonated, uh, you know, beverage, uh, pizza, chips, ice cream, all these are standards, you know, without saying the name of the brand, obviously they're, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna work because they work in the, the way that we eat, whether it's, it's, you know, to complement a meal or a snack or what have you. And then you've got these legacy powerful brands like like the big ones of the world um you know the pepsi coca-cola frito-lay general mills you could you could name it around the world or across north america and europe in the uk uh and then you you've got these entrepreneurs that are are trying to address some of those points you made uh, andreas let's say about about sustainability about health and then you've got the legacy brands that probably often have a big team of marketers and innovators and product developers so how do you, how do you see those two sort of evolving in the the creativity or the innovation of a new brand versus the relationship of a legacy brand in its way to iterate because then i guess it leads me to think you know where does change happen maybe it 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 does happen with the the big brands that that are adapting with the times but you do see these breakthroughs as well where a new really cool interesting brand comes through with something that hasn't been thought of a new a new perspective or a new and they build their own loyalty Mm -hmm. yeah Hmm. Uh, I think there's, there's a couple of ways to look to to, to look at that. You know, you look, you look for innovation brands to to be kind of doing that exact thing, driving innovation in the market. You know, coming up with different things, <clears throat> trying you know uh, trying new new products, and then it's that race, isn't it? Is that race to uh, to, to scale to get a foothold to to, to, to build a loyalty around that brand before. The incumbent comes along and you know does another skew and you know borrows the idea as, as we'll uh, politely call it and, and goes to market with it. So it's important that those, that those innovative brands you know play play a huge role, protecting them, supporting them, um, helping them grow is, is you know something that's yeah very dear to to, to to my passion and and and, and that succeeds that. You know, how can we give them the tools and the the training, the finance to you know uh, to help them thrive? I think when you look, then look at it from a um, 
you know what makes those kind of brands different in in you know in in 2023 where we are today like yeah some of the values make a modern brand are very different to what made a brand that was you know here you know 20 30 40 50 years ago and you know then we then we look at actually well what what is valuable to consumers and you know again table stakes aside it's got to taste good it's got to be you know do me some good it's got to be you know nutritious you then look at the business model itself and you then look at that business and what is it doing you know what are its environmental protections how transparent is it you know how fair are they to the you know to the farmers where they're buying raw ingredients to and you can see this in brands that have built themselves in some of the uh some of the standout ones of, uh, over the last sort of 18 18 months and three years over here like um tony's chocolatey their brands with built with um a different consumer value set in mind that's something that you can't replicate as a uh as an incumbent um without what, what was it al again the name of the the company tony's Cho- Cho- what was it? tony's chocolatey um uh, i'll send you the link after this beautiful yeah. chocolate um, very um, tastes great, really good um, uh, deal for, for for cocoa farmers. Um, those sorts of things that, they, that, that those customer values that are built on a modern brand are very hard for some of the incumbents to replicate because they are tied into you know the food system that has you know supported them and everyone does very well from. Yeah. And I think when we talk about innovation, we don't just talk about innovation at shelf and. And we talk about you know innovation in, in in field, innovation in in process, and I think that's that's got to be recognised as a driving force for change, as much as it has yes. a new a new flavour of, of of potato chip. So it's interesting when you see you know the likes of McCain, for example, investing heavily into regenerative farming techniques around around their potato crop, yes. um, selling that to a new generation of one day young young yeah young fried consumers um by activating in roblox and things like that so i think there's there's a responsibility that's being pushed upon incumbent legacy Mm. brands by innovative brands and it's not you know it's not just on the innovation on the shelf it's about exchange that's taking place as well and i think you know for a lot of the incumbents like for large brands one of the value that we're bringing at six seeds is that we are helping large brands to behave like um behave like startup startups you know like six seeds very frequently when we get engaged by our clients we operate like a skunk works you know where we go in we've been given a we've been given a, a budget and they can't just turn that super tanker around Right, that doesn't work. You can't tell, you can't take a take a big ship and say, "All right, we're going to turn on a dime." Uh, and there's all kinds of risks involved with that as well because it may not work. So one of the strengths that we have at Six Seeds is that we come in, we are be given a budget, we run a project from start to finish that is measurable, that is time limited, and that comes with a budget that doesn't bet the farm. Uh, and then that allows our larger clients to understand the difference and the change that they can implement in a much larger scale. But we de-risk that process, right? And so what we do, one of the things that's saying where our strengths comes in, we allow our larger clients to behave like startups without taking the risks of being a startup and turning the entire company around, uh, you know, and, and taking that risk associated with it. Yeah, I, I I really I think that the the element about process, as much as about the product, is is as important. And it makes me think about, you know, um, the innovations. Let's say with the tools of AI or actually 
um, the, the actual manufacturing of products. You know, these are all cost factors that get involved in the production of something. And if you don't have that cost strategy uh, innovation as well, then then it's going to be leading to, you know, a, a, a difficult choice at checkout uh, for the consumer mm. on on how much that product A versus B or, or C or D costs. And that, that leads to another point I'd like to ask for both of you is, is this, you know, here in Canada, I know it best, but I don't think it's much different than in the UK or in the US, but it, it's the inflation uh, and food inflation has been a big topic of discussion over the last year, year and a half. Maybe now it's sort of like bits and pieces in different places, but it's the, the again, the tension between the desire for product, uh, whoever that brand might be, um, reduced sodium, reduced, uh, you know, uh, fat and sugar, what, what have you. Um, and, uh, and simply the cost of it, you know? So I think that we've seen, you know, that with inflation, that it, it's, it's main, made for some important decision-making that people have had to make two big things. One is, uh, uh, the health of the product and also the sustainability. And maybe if the two of you would, on, on how you see, uh, six seeds thinking about, again, that, that creative tension between the end price of a product in our inflationary times and these characteristics of the product, whether it's for health and or sustainability. Mm. I think on a, you know, we, we, we set out with six seeds because we, you know, one of our things is like, we, we recognize that, you know, um, in, in the old model, you know, there are a lot of, you know, a lot of costs that were very manual, were very, very expensive for any brand starting out. And so for the, for those, for those smaller brands, like how can we strip out costs in the model where that's, you know, coming up with recipe inspirations, whether that's coming up with serving suggestions, whether it's coming up with, you know, brand development, whether it's coming up with content marketing ideas. And there's, so there's lots of, you know, lots of areas where we can, we can, we can press on that with, with technology and, and take that cost out. I think the alarming thing for me, and, and, and this is a, and forgive me, I won't get the numbers bang on, but, you know, being post, post-war Britain in, in, you know, to, to feed yourself to the government's nutritional guidelines cost around about 16% of your take, take home income. So oh, 16% yeah. of your take home income, you could feed yourself, you know, with nutritious food. Today it's 69%. Uh, of, wow. uh, if you were to follow the, the government's you know, own guidelines on nutritional value to, to feed yourself. Mm. So something's really wrong with the system there that, you know, for the right level of protein and nutrients, it's going to cost you that much money. So something does have to be, you know, done about it. I think it's, mm. you know, finding out where and how is is one thing. I mean, you know, the fact that out of the 4,700 species of edible plants on the planet, 15 of those uh, which are grown are controlled by 17, seven, seven companies um, globally um, gives you a, a small clue as to, you know, why things aren't exactly how they should be. But you know, you're only ever going to be in in that situation to help change those things. If you're if you're in it, it's it's okay to be a bystander and you know, complain and moan and and and, and want something different. Um, and so, I think it's our you know, our, our certainly our, our value and our one of our our missions to you know to help those retailers, to help those brands, to help those those businesses take on some of those challenges. You know, create efficiencies, look at things, look at how to do things differently, look how to pr- promote innovation from 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 farm to fork um because you know only then will things things change and i think that's uh you know that's something i feel passionate about 
I'm probably talked around your question then, but no, uh, no, yeah, but, that was good. I get it. I like it. I, yeah. Yeah, you know, and again, building on what Al just said, you know, well, I think when you look at the farming or when you look at the industrial farming that's happening, and specifically perhaps in countries like Canada, um, that farming hasn't really changed in the last 50 years. If anything, it has been, you know, the way that farming was perceived that it needed to be. And this is not and in no way trying to be attacking farmers. I mean, farmers did what they thought and were told was the best and only way to feed the planet, which was, you know, intensify your yield per acre, um, use fertilizer, use uh, genetically modified seeds to get, you know, to make sure that we can feed the planet in, in, in you know, in, in the future. And of course, we now know that that is not a sustainable way forward. But when you think about when this kind of farming was developed, you know, like in the 1970s, when you go back to food marketing, food advertising in the 1970s, 1980s, it was all about astronaut food, right? It was all about <laughs> TV dinner. It was about, yeah. uh, you know, your, your, uh, your cereal that was full of colors, but it was fortified with vitamins. And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and people, people genuinely thought that was the food of the future, right? <laughs> that was what, you, what we're all going to eat in 20 years from now. And of course, now when you look at the reality of things, Really, the way we should be eating uh, is how people ate four, five, six hundred years ago. I mean, and you know, I'm I'm not talking about living in poverty and you know, living off like a bowl of porridge per day, but you know, food that is close to as close to nature as it possibly can. Um, you know, reduce your meat intake, eat mostly plants, and all those kinds of things. Right, that is how we evolved, and that's where we need to return to. So, when we're looking at what's currently happening on the farming level. You know, farmers have been told for the last 50, 60, 70 years, this is how you need to do things. And now to go to them and say, oh, by the way, you screwed up the planet. I understand that there is an amount of anger that comes from farmers back to us. And so I say, well, you yeah. us that's the way to do it. And now you're telling us we did it all wrong. What the heck is going on here? But, you know, from specifically from perhaps the younger generation of farmers and also what's interesting from people who come into farming with a previous experience outside of farming, that they're looking at this and saying, you know, how can we solve these problems? How can we get in there? How can we decentralize our food system? Because part of the reason behind the inflationary force is that our food system is hugely decentralized, right? And the decentralization yeah. of the food system is causing all kinds of problems. So in the last 50, 60 years, we've been relying on something called global smoothing to make sure there is no famine. Right. So if a harvest failed in, I don't know, Venezuela, the harvest in Canada didn't fail. If the, you know, the wheat harvest in the UK wasn't very good, it was fine in Ukraine. And we had the ability to, she to, to ship, uh, you know, food across the world. And that has, by and large, helped us to avoid famine situations. Yeah. Now, with the situation we're currently facing, where it's not potentially one harvest that fails, but it's several harvests that fails due to unrelated uh, un unrelated uh, events. Like let's say there's a war in Ukraine right now, so we can't yes. be wheat. Uh, and then we have uh, you know wildfires in Western Canada, yeah, or drought in Canada, right? So our wheat harvest isn't looking great. Our pulse harvest isn't looking great. Yeah, all of a sudden that's creating real problems on the global stage, and the the potential of hunger at a at a level that we have not experienced for the last, I want to say, a hundred years, is all of a sudden becoming a real possibility for many people. Mm. 
right? Yeah. So there is decentralization is, is, is important there that for in countries like Canada, we start building the technology that allows us to grow food all year round. Uh, and that will also help people to have access to local food um, produced within their communities and close to communities. And hopefully that will also help to drive down inflationary forces. Right. Lots of lots of exciting uh, and, and interesting perspectives. I'm looking at the top of the hour. I know that both of you have a hard start out of all of the there that I'm I'm at. But maybe maybe um, I have one question. If you can sort of tie it in, uh, a broader one, and then maybe where six seeds, what is six seeds most excited about? Let's say in the next couple of years, and where you'd like to uh, take six seeds. But I had a question um, about then where do food brands and how do they engage and when? Um, I guess their their focus is going to be critically important. Are they um, focused as a niche? Let's say, are they going to be the sustainable bag of chips or the healthiest bag of chips or the tastiest ice cream? So I guess my, my second last question was this around how the two of you see um, brands really being on the uh, on point um, with how they engage with the world rather than oversaturating. And then the last part, however you two want to you know wrap it up to uh, as we wrap up is is where are are you most excited about where six seeds can go in the next couple of years? Uh, on the yeah, where should branch show up? Um, I think it's not just where, I think it's how. I think it's you know we, we touched on a word earlier, transparency. Um, I think reconnecting younger consumers. Not with just yeah how food's made, what great recipes is, yeah what it means to, to to cook, but where stuff comes from is you know we talk then about kind of you know regenerative farm practices. I live in the middle of kind of agricultural countryside in in, in the north of England in Yorkshire, and I concern myself about where what are we teaching future generations about farming? You know what are we are we is there a debate going currently going on in schools around? Vertical farms, alternative farming practices, you know, regenerative agriculture, industrial farming, or are we still painting a quaint kind of harvest festival um, viewpoint on the on what modern farming actually is? So I think there's a you know there's there's a role there, and certain retailers and, and brands I think um, will move into that space and and start to not just tell a good provenance story, but start to really educate, and that's where the next generation needs to you know needs to learn from. It doesn't need to learn about food from advertising, from things that are placed in front of them because, you know, that, that we know it can sell. And, you know, I think the legislation around that we're already seeing here is is, is contributing a lot to a, changing the story slightly. And I'd love to see more of that, more of that happen. Um, yes, we always want to indulge. Yes, we uh, we always want people to make their own choices. You know, nobody likes being told what to eat, um, especially especially children. Um, so I think as a, you know, as a responsibility that, you know, at least we can just, you know, educate people and then allow them to make their own their own choices, which is exactly what we should be doing. Um, uh, on the second point, we're sitting on six, six seeds and, and um, I'm excited about, you know, innovation within within all aspects of food systems at the moment i think we are um two things are happening one it's becoming um a more culturally relevant you know, topic and talking point um and, and high on people's agendas two i think you know the situations that we've seen in terms of 
you know, geopolitical instability over the last few years has really made us question, you know, things like food security and where stuff comes from. Um, but given given all of the innovations happening and, and some of the some of the thinking around it, um, it, it feels like setting ourselves up for a uh, you know next few years of uh, of growth and, and and who knows where that will go and. Going back to the thing I said earlier, you know, it's to help change and reflect that change and to be part of that change, you've got you've got to be in it. So, um, what's what's the future life for succeeds? Um, uh, exciting, exciting to yeah. be being innovative, innovative brands. Exciting to be helping incumbent brands on you know changing gear. We're we're you know we're nearly at that kind of mid mid century point where. I think everything over the past, you know, fifteen years of 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 of, of, of marketing, advertising, the you know, the dangers of social media, where where we've ended up in that conversation, um, it feels like we're at a new dawn, and it's absolutely exciting to be in the in the driving seat of that at six seats. Yeah, I mean, I look at six seats very much like the yeast, right? You know, we're 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 the yeast, we're the fermenter, we're the you know that sort of thing in the middle that brings everything together. I mean, we say at six seats, the thing we really create, we create clarity, clarity for our clients, right? So they can clarity for large companies, so they know which products to bring to market that makes that are successful. Um, clarity in communication with consumers, so you know the right messages get consumer uh, get get um, you know get communicated. But really, underneath, you know, this goes back to the idea of us being, you know, just working with some large clients and being the skunk works, the people who sort of, you know, ferment change within that company. So six seeds, you know, at, at our soul, I think we are that change maker. We are that yeast, that fermenter that brings various ideas together and says, because we all are so experienced in food, right? I mean, every single one of us has 20 years plus experience in food. Um, we have the ability to say, well, hold on a second. These guys are doing this over here. And if you put A plus B, we get something that is potentially much bigger than C. And, you know, for us to be in that position and help our clients that way is just a really exciting future. Just just to round that off, and I, I think, yeah, yeah, again, from a personal perspective, you know, um, and when we founded Six Seeds and, 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 and um, you know, started talking to Andreas, I think having... We've got quite a magical combination of being two of the biggest food centers in the world where innovation happens that are so driven. I think the combination of Toronto and London has never looked rosier. And for our clients, we, we know that's special. We know it's special. And it's it's great to be working with, you know, such a such a you know dedicated team in in, in Toronto, so close to all aspects of the food system. Um, that 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 excites me. That's global, exciting, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the, the global reach is, is is absolutely one of the things that is uh, that is makes a huge difference to us. You know, we have uh, we we use tools really well as a distributed company, technology tools really well. So our our, our communication is an ongoing thing, and you know, just in the last couple of months, the cross fertilization from the North American to the European food culture and food food business has been incredibly helpful um, to create insight that is useful for our clients over here and also for our clients over there. I really appreciate both of you. And, um, uh, and you know, Andreas and I, we talk regularly, so keeping abreast of all of these things. And we're in an exciting world, an exciting time. And I'm excited to see how Six Seeds uh, keeps moving forward on this. And, um, 
and and what the future holds. Uh, and it is true that we are in some really, really uh, like Toronto, London. You know, some of the most uh, innovation, greatest innovation that's coming from these spots in 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 a sector that is really important. The work that we're doing as well. So I think there's a lot of good things there. There is also if there's any links um, that you might be able to send Al. I think you mentioned that one chocolate company, or if there's any that come to mind, yeah. then I could add that into the show notes uh, as well. Brilliant. I dropped into the chat. I don't know if you saw it pop up. Uh, oh, okay. Let me see that. It's a real mouthful. It's Tony's Chocolony. It's Chocolony. Oh, okay. It's, um, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, it beats me as a tongue twister. But uh, yeah, I'll send that through. Uh, yeah, a couple of other things I think would be, be a bit be of interest. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you both. I mean, I, I'm going to put.